Hello, everyone, and welcome for joining this Zoo webinar for our financial results for FY22. Uh, for those who don't know us, I'm Stuart Green. I'm a co-founder of the business, and um, I've been the CEO of Zoo since 2006. I'm also a large shareholder. I've invested my own capital in the business uh, over the course of uh, several years. Hi, and I'm Phil Blundell. I'm the CFO of the business, been uh, with Zoo for four years uh and 24 years working with AIM-listed technology businesses. So that's who we are. Um, so we're going to take you through our investor presentation for uh, for the full year FY22. Um, if you are watching this live, then you can ask questions of us, and we'll try to get through as many of those as we can at the end once we've finished the presentation. To do that, you'll find a questions panel to the right of the screen. So at any point, you can enter your question there, and we'll just um, we'll, we'll answer them uh, when we get to the end. Okay, so. Um, so we, we're going to take we're going to take you through this as an update to the uh, you know to the progress that we've made in the business over the course of the last year. Uh, that means that people who are hearing this story for the first time will just have to wait a little while until we get to a bit more detail on Zoo, our strategy, and how we go about doing what we do. But just as a to, just to frame uh, this uh, this presentation. We're a, a technology-enabled service provider. We work in the home entertainment industry. Our clients are all of the big producers of feature films and TV series, and also the distributors of those uh, of that content through through streaming platforms. And what we do for them is take usually finished programs and do everything that's necessary to prepare those content those programs so that they can be delivered on into streaming platforms. And that means um, we work in two broad areas. The first is media localization. So we, we take the content and we adapt it into different languages, which you do through subtitling and dubbing. And we also do provide a whole range of technical services that are necessary to get all these materials in the right formats and compatible with the right systems so that they will play properly uh, when they go onto uh, streaming platforms. So uh, this has been a pretty significant year for us. As, you've, as you will have seen, uh, we delivered 78% organic revenue growth um, in the period, and we'll put a bit of color on how we achieve that in a moment. It's been a year in which we've established a number of international operations. That's an important part of our strategy uh, to, to extend our reach, and in particular to build our resources so that we can uh, build um, our uh, our freelancer community uh, across all of the languages of our clients. We work in a market that is growing very strongly and is set to continue to grow. And again, we'll give you a bit of color to that in a moment. Um, it, this has been a period in which new original productions resumed. So um, as you will know, during the pandemic, it wasn't possible to, to produce uh, feature films and TV series because folks were in lockdown. And in fact, in the first half of last year, uh, we saw very little uh, by the way of new original programs. And most of our work in that time was on back catalog programs that our customers were asking us to get onto the streaming platforms. But in our second half of last year, those new productions resumed and we and our second half was characterized by a lot of work that we did on new original productions that has continued through into the current year. Uh, it's interesting that there are a number of large 
um, streaming services, global streaming services that are available now, um, but a number of them, uh, three of them specifically from large media companies uh, that have been launched in the US are only just beginning their international rollout. So we also are looking forward to a very interesting period ahead as those, as those companies uh, begin um, extending their reach into countries outside of, of North America and English speaking countries. So given the investment that we've made uh, in, in our capability, in our technology and our capacity, we're incredibly well placed to be able to take um, further market share in our market and, uh, and continue to benefit from uh, the inherent growth within, the, um, within this industry and, uh, and, um, and continue our growth uh, progression in the period ahead. So let's move now to give you an update on the FY22 results. Phil. Thank you, Stuart. So first of all, just to restate our strategy, uh, we uh, intend on delivering superior revenue growth. That revenue growth will be through profitable growth. So uh, we're not looking to, uh, to, to deliver losses. We're looking to improve our profitability year on year with that superior growth. The way that we measure this is through our KPIs. Uh, and you can see from uh, from the revenue side of things, we're up 78%, as Stuart has already mentioned. Uh, we've improved our EBITDA margin from 11.5 to 11.8. Worth mentioning that this is a year of investment. So uh, we didn't actually offer this as a uh, as a target at the beginning of the year. But given, given the revenue growth, we've managed to achieve uh, uh, some improvement and we'll expect a, a greater improvement in years to come by. Uh, and then on the OPEX side, we've uh, improved... Uh, as a percentage of revenue from 33 down to 27. Again, a year where we have invested heavily in IT, in sales and marketing, and in property. Uh, to achieve that superior growth, uh, we have to have capacity, and the capacity we measure through freelancers, which is up 20% in the year, and we have to uh, uh, deliver superior quality to our customers for them to give us repeat business, and you can see that uh, all bar one customer gave us uh, repeat business in the year. The reason the one customer didn't is they had no localization work to do in the year. So not down to Zoom. A little bit more detail on the financial results. Uh, that revenue growth, as Stuart's already mentioned, is primarily came in the second half of the year, delivered through the resumption of new productions. So... When more detail about the revenue, you'll see that subtitling has been the superior service, more than doubling in the year, and, and dubbing has increased by 87% in the year. Uh, that uh, adjusted EBITDA uh, came in at 8.3 million, um, but we probably had about $4 million of investment in the period. So, uh, you know, if we weren't looking for growth, we could have had a much higher EBITDA figure, but uh, we feel that eight on 4.5 is a good result and, and sets us up for the future periods. Uh, operating profits, which is after amortization of uh, R&D and depreciation of uh, both property and uh, fixed assets, came in at uh, 3 million, a tripling in the period. Uh, and even with some big one-offs of uh, finance uh, charges to do with the uh, fundraise, uh, and also the fair value charge that we had to put through the P&L, we still ended up with a positive profit before tax of 1.1 million. On the balance sheet side, we strengthened our balance sheet significantly in the year. 
through two events. One was the uh, the uh, 10 million uh, fundraise that we completed in April 21. And the second one was the conversion of the loan notes into equity that reduced our um, borrowings by roughly 9 million uh, from the previous year. Uh, and then finally, uh, on a positive note, the cash balance at the end of the year with, with no net debt was 6 million. So in a very strong position for our future growth. Thanks, Phil. Um, operationally, there were some pretty significant uh, achievements in the course of the year. Um, the first is that we secured another customer for our Zoo Studio platform. So for those who are new to the story, uh, Zoo Studio is one of our cloud-based platforms that is a ERP system that's designed for companies who are buying the very services that we that we provide that are essentially commissioning companies like us to uh, to get their content onto streaming platforms. Um, so with a uh, we already have been working for a number of years with a major player in the streaming market. Um, so this is a second uh, customer for that platform. Uh, Zoo Studio is a, a strategic initiative of ours. Um, it embeds us within the organisations of our customers, and uh, there are a whole range of benefits that flow to us as a result of that. As, as we mentioned, we grew strongly in the year, and just to give a little bit more color to that, both media services and media localization, which are our two major segments, grew strongly. The former by 51%, and that was largely through uh, the, the catalog work that we did in our first half. Um, and then media localization grew actually by 108%, um, particularly in the second half as new productions resumed. And the reason why you have that difference there is that in the case of new productions, they're, uh, you know, because they're brand new, they've never been localized before, uh, there's work that needs to be done in many languages to get them ready to be distributed globally. Whereas if you're working on back catalog programs, as we were predominantly in our first half, then of course much of that localization has already been done. So most of the work that we do is, is in our, falls into our media services segment. As Phil said, we grew our freelancer network by 20%. That's an important uh, metric for us. That freelancer pool represents our capacity that we have. It's segmented by language. So those um, 11,000 individuals that we have now um, in, our, um, in our systems that we're collaborating with regularly um, around the world, um, they are, each of them is a specialist in a particular language. And of course, we need to extend the number of people we have in those, particularly in the kind of low resource languages, to make sure that we have capacity and capability across all those languages that are being required in the industry. Um, we also uh, strengthened our end-to-end -end offering by the introduction of a new service, uh, namely Mastering, which is a which is a, a quite a, a technical um, service that that we that we now provide. By offering that new service, that gives us an incremental revenue stream, but it also um, it also enables us to offer bundles of services to our customers since increasingly what we're finding in this industry is that buyers prefer to work with customers like us that can offer a whole range of services rather than to use different vendors uh, for different services. So that's a, a very important addition, uh, one that generated revenue in our um, in the second half of last year after we'd uh, put the team in place and which we expect to grow strongly in the current year and beyond. And then finally, uh, we launched our global growth initiative and have made some investments and uh, one acquisition. So those who've listened to the story for a little while will know that our strategy is certainly not to go out and acquire traditional dubbing studios in, in lots of countries, as our competitors do, but rather to establish operations 
in key locations around the world from which we can then um, engage with talent in those regions and those countries uh, and to bring them on board. Uh, so these are, you know, adding more voice actors, directors and so on um, into our into our systems so that we have more capacity um, to uh, uh, to offer to our customers. So um, a lot of the work we've done over the course of the last year or two uh, has been uh, investment, as, as Phil mentioned, and this is all around us scaling up our operation to be able to deal with more work in the future. So there's a good bit of our cost that we incurred in the period that was really about building capacity for the future. And just to summarize that kind of key themes around our scale up um, strategy, first of the first element is around international, not going out to buy or build traditional dubbing studios, we are making investments in some partners that we've worked with for some time in key geographies to give us uh, feet on the ground, enabling us to um, work with the community there more effectively. Um, we are broad we have broadened our services i mentioned the introduction of mastering and there are some one or two other things that we'll do as well to provide a very rounded offering to our customers and as i mentioned we increasingly see that those customers want to take the whole range of services from us uh, we continue to invest in our platforms um, that's a very important part of our strategy it's what sets us apart in the market and in the period we spent um, quite a lot of resources in further enhancing zoo studio uh, this is this is our um, ELP system that I mentioned um, in order that we can embed it more deeply and more broadly within the operations of our customers. Um, through the hubs we've established now, we, um, we you know we're growing by building um, our network of freelancers and adding additional people across all the key languages. And as a result of these things, you uh, you will see in the accounts for FY22 that the operational gearing within the business um, is starting to to kick in. We're seeing SGNA become a lower proportion of our sales as we move forward, and you'll see that continue in future periods. Phil. Right, so a little, a little bit more colour on the on the P and L. Uh, we've talked through that revenue growth, so uh, I'll, I'll move on to the cost of sales. For those of you who are new to the story, uh, within cost of sales, we we uh, we have two segments. The first one is direct costs. That's the freelancers and the actors and the directors. Uh, that grew by 117% year on year. Uh, that's a function of the services. So uh, we had a stronger performance from subtitling and a stronger performance from dubbing in terms of the overall mix. They have a higher external cost um, than um, than media services, which which bigger revenues in FY twenty one. Also, uh, as we've said, this has been a year of investment, so uh, we have sacrificed a little bit our margins to give ourselves capacity to grow the business at the same sort of pace that uh, we've achieved in FY twenty two. So uh, we were recruiting our project managers, our QA staff. Uh, an English team, uh, and mixers ahead of the curve. So those costs went up by 49% and give us capacity for a much bigger business than the revenues that have been achieved here. However, with all that investment, we still managed to increase the gross profit by 62% in the year to 22 million. Uh, it was also a year of investing in our operating expenses. So a, thir a third increase in our R&D. Um, we took on two, two new office leases uh, we doubled our capacity in terms of IT, and we also spent heavily in recruiting business development directors around the globe to support our international rollout of uh, services 
for our key customers. Uh, these costs are not going to uh, occur in terms of the growth rate in future years. Uh, we now feel that we've uh, geared up the business for, um, for the medium term. Um, but even so, with that investment, we still managed, uh, as I said previously, to reduce our operating expenses as a percentage of revenue by five percentage points. And you'll start to see that uh, move down steadily every year going forward to a long-term aim of around uh, 15%. And, and that way you get the operational gearing. So you'll see a significant increase in our operating profit uh, and EBITDA, of course. Uh, the one last thing I, I'll mention, because I've already mentioned the, uh, the fair value and the finance costs, is that we also wrote back in our 1.3 million of deferred tax, which relates to America, uh, where we have $14 million of tax losses to use up. And that reflects our confidence in the profitability of the business going forward. Uh, a little bit more uh, information on our, uh, our different services. Uh, so uh, obviously the big growth was the subtitling and the dubbing. Uh, and that has translated into a, a seven percentage points improvement in margin to 22%. Again, that's uh, plenty of room for growth. We expect that to move into the 30s over the medium term. And that's because, as it currently stands, we've been gearing up our dubbing uh, function, which is our newest service, uh, to handle uh, you know, a significant more volume of business than it's currently generating. So it, it really didn't contribute anything to the gross profit in, in FY22. Uh, media services was down in the year. Uh, that's to do with the first half of the year where we did a lot of metadata work, which is a lower margin than the normal media services, uh, you know, moving down from 65 to 58. Uh, with the metadata uh, reducing as a percentage of revenues, we go into the new year, we would expect those uh, media services margins to improve back up to 65% and beyond, particularly with the new mastering service, which is very high margin. Uh, so again, for, for, for investors, you'll see a, a, a significant improvement in our, our gross profit as well as our top line revenue in, in the coming year. Um, just continuing the theme around investment, um, we obviously said we'd spend the 10 million and, uh, and we certainly have. Um, we spent about 4 million on uh, CapEx, the first line, uh, the PPE line. Um, that is uh, to give us the capacity both for you know, working conditions, IT, etc. Uh, that is a, a one-off four million. We would expect capex to drop to to less than two million in the coming year. Uh, we took on a new lease in Sheffield, and we also extended the El Segundo LA facility as well. One for ten years, and and the second for six years, and that has given rise to the. Uh, right of use asset moving up from 2 million to 8 million. Uh, obviously, there's a corresponding liability as it's a, an accounting treatment for IFRS 16 in the uh, non-current liabilities. That's exactly what that is, nothing else. Um, and, and as Stuart's already mentioned, we made some significant investments in the year in uh, Turkey, Korea, and uh, also in India. And that uh, has gone on the balance sheet at 3.9 million. Um, and even with all that investment, we still had six million in the bank at, at the end of the period. Um, 
trade receivables and trade creditors both went up significantly. And that's really about the phasing of our revenue. We had an incredibly strong Q4. Uh, and that Stuart will tell you more about uh, how that's translating into Q1 as well. And because of Q1 is obviously going to be reasonably well, uh, the whip in the year moved up um, by over 2 million um, because we were completing work ready for the, the new year. So, um, and with the borrowings down in real terms by 4.4 million and in sort of non-cash terms, 4.5 million, we now have a very clean balance sheet, one that's structured for growth. And just to make sure that we can manage the working capital cycle, we've recently signed a 5 million invoice discounting facility with HHS to, to manage the peaks, peaks and troughs in our, our working capital. Thank you. Thanks very much, Phil. So I'd like to spend a, a few minutes just giving you an update on the market and give some context for the services that we deliver. So, um, so, so the first thing is to, to say that for the consumer market here we talk about is home entertainment, as I mentioned, and we've now kind of arrived at the final destination in terms of uh, formats, if you like, for that, uh, for that market. So streaming is, is really what the future of this industry. And what that means is that you know, all of the big players in home entertainment are, are, are moving their, their focus into the area of streaming. Uh, we've seen sort of two phases of development of the market so far. One was led by Netflix, which was about you know getting platforms out there um, to make this content available to consumers. Um, and the second phase has been uh, led by Disney, which is uh, a period of direct to the introduction of direct to consumer propositions from from big film studios. So where previously companies like Disney have been licensing their content to operators like Netflix. Now what we're seeing is that those large media companies are retaining their own IP to have exclusivity on their own streaming services. As I mentioned, Disney Plus launched in 2019 and has uh, made fantastic progress in its international rollout, whereas the other big players, uh, direct-to-consumer players, which are listed on, on the slide in phase two, are, um, are at the early stages of that, that rollout. The chart on this slide is really just illustrating the fact that those traditional sources of consumption of home entertainment, um, in this case pay TV, um, are in decline and are being replaced by uh, by streaming. What that means is, of course, that the that they are these traditional sources of income for media companies uh, through both licensing as well as advertising. Um, and what that means is that. Uh, these organizations have to focus their energies really around streaming because that's um, that's the future. Now, when you think about Zoo um, and the market in which we operate, as I say, the, the, this, the, the consumer market here is, is, um, is streaming, but our market actually is to do with content production. So the work that we do, the services that we're engaged to provide are in relation to original content. And predominantly, we expect that original content to be new titles that are being produced in the industry. And uh, so when we look at that, uh, based on some uh, recent research, uh, you'll see here that $220 billion was spent on original content production in calendar 21. And the chart shows you how some of the big media companies have increased their spend year on year. 
So we're seeing that trend continue. Um, so uh, this year, the global spend is expected to be 230 billion. And um, and this is all a function of the fact that these uh, providers of streaming services need to be differentiated and content is the way they differentiate their services. And that means they have to continue to invest in new original programs. Uh, now, of course, streaming is a global proposition. Um, so gone are the days when a program maker would would produce a show for the for the North American market, and then you know it was icing on the cake if if they could license that out into other countries. Right from the very beginning, now those who are commissioning uh, programs are thinking about global audiences. It's already the case, and as you can see from this chart, the the majority of Netflix subscribers um, come from outside of North America. The North American market is quite mature now. Eighty five percent of households are already have at least one uh, streaming video on demand. Uh, uh, service. Um, so, so the big providers of these services in the industry are looking to geographies to see um, rapid growth and take up of, of consumers. So Southeast Asia and India are amongst the, you know, the, the fastest growing areas in the world. When we look at the content that's reaching our screens, you may well have noticed that there's more of that coming from uh, countries other than those that speak English. Um, so not so many years ago, uh, most of the content that traveled globally was originally English. But with streaming, again, this is untapped. This is this has allowed us to tap into the industry, to tap into fantastic program making that is that takes place all around the world. And in fact, if you look at some of the most popular Netflix shows, for example, over the course of the last few years, they've been uh, non-English uh, original programs. So, um, so this is another element of the growth that's taking place in the industry. There's more of this content from international locations uh, coming to our screens. And that, again, is driving the need for localization, including into English, of course. So obviously what we provide in this, one of the things that we provide in this market is media localization services. So let me just say a few words about that. Um, so media localization is a segment of the broader localization. Um, so if you if you follow companies on the London Stock Exchange, you may be familiar with RWS. So RWS is one example of a company that provides um, you know, quite generalized localization services. Most of what they do is to take um, content in one language, uh, usually written content, and adapt it into different languages. Uh, and usually the aim is to create literal translations of the original in each case. So if you're starting with a patent and you need to produce that in different languages, then obviously you want to preserve the inherent meaning within uh, within the words and create a literal translation into the target language. Um, now, what we do um, is media localization, um, and it's a very different and because, of course, what we're dealing with in our world is the spoken word. It's the, it's the dialogue that, that is being said in the program. And, of course, dialogue is very nuanced. It can be very idiomatic. There can be cultural references and all sorts of things that mean a, a literal translation is very rarely the thing that you need. You need to think in the whole context of what's being said and find ways to adapt it into a different language that is culturally sensitive and meaningful and resonates with the audience there in the same way that the original does in the uh, you know the speakers of its of its original language. Media, media localization is a niche of the broader localization market, but it's actually a very large, high value and fast growing niche. And we have some stats on this slide just to illustrate that. 
so Netflix recently disclosed some information about how much subtitling and dubbing they commissioned in calendar 21, from which we have been able to estimate, and it is our estimate, um, but it should be reasonably accurate, um, that they spent about half a billion dollars in that year on media localization. Um, and to put that in perspective, that represents a, just under 3% of their content budget for that year. So obviously you've got, this is a large player, clearly, but one player is spending half a billion dollars on these kinds of services. This is just media localization uh, we're talking about now. So I haven't included uh, the other media services that we provide as well. Now, obviously, um, Netflix has been doing this for quite a while now, and they uh, localize into more languages than most at the moment. But our expectation is that the other more recent entrants into the market over a period of time will need to extend the reach of their services into uh, global markets such that the kind of spend that that will, is likely to entail might be of the order of 3%. So given that I've already mentioned that $220 billion was spent on media on, uh, on content in Canada 20, if we imagine at a future date, 3% of that level of spend could be on media localization, that will point towards a very significant market and a fast-growing market from where we are today. So to say, for the benefit particularly of those who are new to the story, I'll just say a few words about our proposition. Uh, the first is that where we fit in the value chain, uh, we don't get involved in making programs at all. Our work starts when a program has been completed, it's delivered to us, and we do everything that's necessary to make sure that content will play properly when it goes out onto a Netflix or a Disney Plus or wherever else, and it, that it can be enjoyed by audiences who speak different languages because it's subtitled and dubbed to a high quality and a high standard um, in those languages. So those two segments that Phil has spoken about uh, previously are uh, media localization, media services, uh, and that's where our bulk of our activity is focused. Um, in the traditional industry that, uh, that provides these kinds of services, and obviously this is an industry that's decades old now, um, it, there, is a, um, there is a practice of, um, of being kind of very bricks and mortar about the way in which you go about doing this. So, so dubbing work, for example, is centered on dubbing studios that exist in territory. So you would have a dubbing studio in each country where for which you want to provide um, a dubbing language. And the reason for that, of course, is that um, to do dubbing, you need access to voice actors. And if you're, if you're a physical studio base, those actors have to travel into your studio. And therefore, in France, you can draw on French actors. But if you want to do German, you'll need to be based somewhere in, in Germany. So, so the traditional industry is very sort of physically based. It, it involves lots of equipment and, and technical specialists as well as creative specialists. It involves talent, namely voice actors and others, traveling to those studios um, to do their work. So the characteristics of it is that it's, it's quite capital intensive to set up uh, those businesses, which means then it's also quite difficult to scale uh, because, of course, the businesses is defined by essentially how many rooms they have in which voice actors can uh, can operate. Um, it generally takes a while to complete a project because voice actors have to travel into that studio one by one in order to do their work. Um, so the elapsed time can be quite long. It's quite uh, an it can be quite an error prone process. Um, it can take some time to get a good result. Um, so consequently, you know, it takes a while uh, to process projects. And, um, uh, and, you know, it, it involves engaging with 
um, organizations across many different countries if you need to produce uh, multiple uh, language versions of your program. So in contrast to that, we've taken quite a different approach. Um, as an innovator, we have developed some cloud software that essentially allows us to democratize this industry and provide a means for us to interact directly with talent wherever they may be located in the world without having to own and operate uh, physical studios. So we have what's quite a disruptive proposition. It's, it's, it's based on this cloud software that we have created and which we retain exclusively for our own use in order to give us a differentiator in the market. That software actually is, is broken down into a number of different platforms, all of which are interoperable, uh, each platform providing some specialist capability in a certain area. So, for example, the, our dubbing services are delivered through our ZooDubs platform. Um, one, one of those platforms, which I referred to earlier, Zoo Dubs, uh, sorry, Zoo Studio, is our specialist um, ERP system, uh, which we've developed uh, in order to allow us to integrate very closely with the operations of our customers, uh, which has the effect of making us very sticky. Um, so uh, in our strategic plan, there are five key pillars of that plan, which I'll cover very briefly. Which I've spoken about already, and development of these um, unique proprietary technologies. Secondly, uh, our scalability is delivered through uh, our network of freelancers. We have actually over eleven thousand of them, more than it says on the slide, and um, and they're located all around the world, collaborating with us on an ongoing basis to deliver these projects. Um, we are actually a very collaborative uh, business. We work with other operators in our industry, as well as with um, with research organizations, with educational um, organizations too. Um, uh, we are targeting the largest players in the industry. Um, so we're, we're working with companies at the moment, predominantly US um, headquartered um, media organizations that are producing lots of content and are centralizing the buying of services to take that content into um, lots of countries. And finally, um, talent is absolutely crucial to what we do. Although we're a technology company, we still re uh, rely on people to do um, the translation, the voice acting, the dubbing direction, uh, and so on. Uh, these are skills that, that we think our humans are best placed to do. Um, our intention is not to displace um, those, those people with, with software, but rather to augment what they do. And we're active in a whole range of different research projects. We're looking at AI and other technologies that will um, give us productivity benefits and uh, further increase our competitive advantage. Phil. Thank you, Stuart. So just, just a, a quick uh, slide on our business model. Uh, and this is one of the key differentiators uh, to, from us to other, other companies in the industry. The first bit is that uh, we are paid by the minute uh, and we also pay the freelancers by the minute of, uh, of the asset, whether it's film or a TV show. Um, those are all built into uh, framework agreements with our customers uh, and it takes years to get onto the preferred partner list of these large US orientated uh, streaming and content providers. Um, and that acts as a real barrier to entry for, um, for, for other companies trying to enter the market. Um, the rates are reviewed every six months. Uh, we're in an industry at the moment where um, demand is outstripping supply. So our customers know that uh, they can't be looking to gouge pricing. Uh, in fact, it tends to be the opposite, that uh, they need to make sure to uh, 
<clears throat> secure the freelancers for the business that uh, that needs doing in the short term, that they have to keep uh, moving those rates up. And we have that natural hedge between the uh, the revenue and the cost of sales. Uh, in our industry at the moment, projects are allocated based on your availability and your quality. So uh, uh, as Stuart probably mentioned we've already, we have superior quality to our competitors. And that means that um, uh, we tend to be offered the work from our customers first. Um, and uh, we only take it if we have the capacity to deliver it on time and to the right um, the right uh, time frame and quality. Um, and then the final point on this really is that, uh, as I've already mentioned, uh, we are investing for the future. So the margins you're seeing across our business, uh, which includes those external costs and those internal project management costs, are, are lower than they will be in the long term because we are investing ahead of the curve. So the 31% that we contribution that we achieved in FY22, uh, you can expect to see that move over the long term to a figure closer to 37 to 38%. So, uh, so plenty of opportunity for margin improvement uh, as we go forward. Uh, two years ago, we, we set a uh, medium of 100 million of revenue. At the time, we were turning over 30 million. Uh, a few people in the industry felt, uh, or certainly investors felt, that maybe that was a bit too ambitious. Um, but what you can see from this chart is that uh, after two years, we are significantly ahead of, of the run rate. In fact, we've achieved year three already. So um, it, it's pretty certain that we're going to hit that 100 million stepping stone uh, quicker than we originally en envisaged. And uh, it won't be long before we will be coming back to you uh, with a revised medium term target, which obviously will be significantly higher. Uh, and the final point I'd like to make is that, uh, you know, we're growing rapidly, but we are the newcomer to this industry. And uh, and our market share currently is less than 5%. So uh, we have significant opportunity to grow that market share over the medium and long term. Thank you, Phil. So our ambition then is to be one of the biggest, if not the biggest player in our industry. And um, the biggest uh, participant uh, has reported sales of about $450 million. So we've spoken about that uh, medium-term target of $100 million. For us, we see that as a stepping stone towards uh, our ambitions to be um, a, a very significant player in our industry. So I'll just take you through the outlook that we included in our uh, prelim statement. Um, the, our first quarter of this year, which we've just wrapped up, so our year end is to March, um, has been a record period. We've delivered sequential growth over the final quarter of last year, and uh, we're significantly ahead of the same period um, last year. Um, we now have visibility through uh, to the end of our first half, and as we've indicated, we expect that in our first half we'll exceed the second half of last year. So again, sequential growth there. And, uh, and again, that will propel us further $100 million sales target. Um, I spoke about Zoo, Zoo Studio and the fact that we added um, a further customer in, in the course of last year. Uh, we're increasingly optimistic that we will be able to secure further customers for Zoo Studio in the period ahead. 
Um, so we've been making a lot of investments um, in building out this multilingual dubbing capability in particular, and um, uh, including you know, investing in more capacity across all of these languages that are being ordered. And we fully expect that that will enable us to continue to deliver strong growth in FY23. And we remain uh, very confident of doing that uh, and doing it profitably. So I'll just leave you with um, four key points in our investment thesis. Uh, the first is that uh, we are growing significantly year on year and expect to continue to do so. Uh, as Phil's taking you through, we have a strong balance sheet and we're in a great financial position to be able to capitalize on the, the opportunity that we face here. We've been investing um, ahead of demand. Uh, we've obviously uh, created our platforms and have further developed those platforms so that our proprietary technology gives us the scalability that we need in order to become very quickly uh, uh, a significant player um, in our market. We're investing, as we mentioned, in international capability and through investments, um, acquisitions and other activities, um, building out our international network that will facilitate us growing that, uh, that freelancer community uh, more rapidly across uh, many locations. And finally, um, we are working in a market that is showing incredibly strong growth. It is a very large and expanding market and uh, the spend on new original content and the proliferation of that content on a global basis will lead to even greater demand for the services that we offer. And you know, we are uniquely placed to, to capitalize on that. So thank you very much. Um, so I can see that we have some questions that have been submitted. Thank you very much for those. Um, so we'll go through those now, and I'm going to I'm going to field them in the order that we've uh, that we've received them. So it's um, a first come, first serve. So the first one, um, in the report, you mentioned that for some services and languages, the, the record levels of investment are exposing shortages in capacity that are prompting buyers to place orders with extended notice periods. Could you elaborate on this? And how does this translate to improve revenue visibility? So, so as we mentioned, uh, because of the enormous growth in the industry, the enormous spend on original content, more players taking that content to global audiences, there is you know, a, a demand for media localization of a level that's never been seen before. And the, uh, the traditional supply chain of those physical uh, studios um, is, in, certainly for some languages, is reaching the point where there is actually limited capacity to extend further. So what that means is that some buyers are coming along and finding that there isn't the capacity there for them to actually place their work and have that localized in the timeframe they would like. So we th one of the one of the consequences of that that we are starting to see is that the buyers recognize that they need to give more visibility to their vendors so that those vendors can plan ahead and make sure they have that capacity in place in order to be able to deliver on 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 those projects. Um, so over the course of the last year, we've seen our visibility extend um, uh, quite a bit already. And we think there's every chance that that will extend even further in the year ahead as, um, as we get that forward visibility uh, from our customers. That in turn enables us to be able to forecast um, further out and, um, and you'll see that um, translated into the applications um, that are uh, published by the analysts who, that follow us. The next question, um, has Zoo Studio's new client taken on all aspects of the software, 
e.g. to the same extent as the first major media client. Um, so, so that um, so that customer has, has basically adopted Zoo Studio and now has it within their uh, in their business to manage this process. And in managing that process, they are engaging with us as a service provider to actually fulfill those services. Um, at the moment, um, most of the services that are being commissioned, I believe, are media services and subtitling. Um, but our reasonable expectation is that they may well extend to include dubbing um, as well in due course. The next question is, is your market driven uh, is your market driven more by the number of translated titles rather than production budgets? If so, how much faster would you estimate the number of translated titles is growing versus production budget growth? Okay, that's that's a great question, and it's a, it's a good observation. And it's true that there will be, in that $220 billion, I'm sure that there is content there that really is never going to travel internationally. Um, that you know something that's produced locally for local consumers um, that would have limited appeal on a global basis and therefore probably wouldn't get localized. Um, what we have seen in the market and what market commentators have have, uh, have mentioned uh, more recently is that because of um, because of the need to um, to differentiate themselves through content, which is a costly thing to do, the, the, those who are commissioning new titles are increasingly looking at the international appeal of projects before they press the button to go ahead with them. So um, I think what we will see as we move forward is that um, increasingly um, most of the um, annual spend in the industry on original content will be directed towards a project where there is some, uh, some international appeal. So I think it is. I think it's true that at the moment there's 220 billion dollars. Uh, not all of that will get localized globally, but I think a very large proportion of it will. And I think that proportion over time will increase. Uh, the next question: um, I assume the biggest challenge in scaling up operations is attracting high-quality freelance voice actors and quality assurance and dubbing directors. Are you getting resistance from them in adapting the new way of working? Okay, uh, great question. Um, uh, so, I, in in all honesty, what we found is that there are some voice actors, for example, who have been you know who have been in the game for a long, long time, who are quite reluctant to um, to embrace a kind of a new technology ap approach, and um, those people tend to be in the countries where dubbing has had a long tradition, and in particular in France, Italy, Germany, and Spain. Um, now, in, in essentially, what we've provided is an ecosystem with. Uh, with you know a software cloud software platform that enables us to work with talent wherever they may be located so that does not preclude individuals working in traditional settings if that's what they want or the client wants um, or is is appropriate given the circumstances so so when we when we're working on a project in our you know in our platforms um, typically we may have voice actors recording from different locations some of whom, whom could be in a traditional setting uh, and when they are in a traditional setting, uh, or indeed even if they're, they're they're working from a you know a kind of a satellite location, um, there the, the the whole experience of working in our platform can be remotely controlled for them. So it's not like they have to be technological wizards in order to be able to use our system. Our system is already very easy to use, but it can be remotely controlled where that need arises. So 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 we've so 
to the extent that there have been some people who've been a bit reluctant to embrace our technology, that's not been an obstacle for us in engaging with them and uh, you know and working with them more broadly. And, and indeed, you know, certainly the the new and younger talent is actually uh, tends to embrace uh, uh, you know our, our technology powered um, approach. Thanks. Next question: Will customer concentration risk reduce substantially this year? Phil, do you want to do you want to say that one? <laughs> Thank you, Stuart. Uh, it won't reduce substantially this year. Uh, the reason why uh, our number one client is so large is that they they were the first to go international after uh, Netflix at real volume, and so therefore uh, they have about a three year march on their competition, and uh, and obviously they have the biggest budgets in the industry anyway. So um, it will reduce this year because we are already working with two other uh, major. US production uh, content providers who are launching across the globe. And so therefore, the revenues from those two clients will grow in the year. Um, so I think it will be a gradual reduction uh, to probably a long term aim that our customer will probably reduce from 78% down to maybe 50%. Thank you, Phil. Next question. Uh, Zoo Studio has been highly strategic to entrenching Zoo into clients what adjacent software could be added to further enhance the attractiveness of the platform to future customers? Great question. So, um, so what Zoo Studio does is make the lives of our clients very easy um, in, in managing these very complex projects and placing the work associated with those projects um, with their vendors. Um, it's you know it, it kind of knows and understands all the dynamics, all of the elements that need to be ordered and and. and literally thousands of individual deliverables that result from a you know just one engagement um, of, of these services so um, so what we're doing actually is we are extending uh, the question is is about you know whether there are there's other software that we could deploy in the same way actually our plan is to broaden the scope of zoo studio and we've done that over the course of the last year to include other functions and capabilities that um, that, that continue to um, enhance the lives of our customers who are working um, in this in this field. So, for example, in the course of the last year, we added functionality to deal with financial modeling and planning, um, um, allowing this system to then be integrated with uh, third-party finance systems um, to, you know, to manage uh, purchase ordering and, and all sorts of kind of financial administration. So our intention there will be to continue to broaden the scope of Sue Studio. Uh, what that does, obviously, is create a greater dependence uh, of our customer form. It, it obviously makes their lives uh, a lot easier um, and it makes us more attractive as a vendor to then receive the work that, that goes through those, those systems. Next question, what is uh, your level of penetration of your largest client based on readily addressable revenues? And approximately how much growth do you expect from your largest clients in the current fiscal year? Can you take that one as well, Phil? Yeah, sure. Um, so um, that particular client hasn't given us their exact localization budget, but uh, based on sort of uh, informal conversations, we think currently we are about 10% of their localization budgets. Um, and we would expect as they integrate us into more of their divisions that that 10% will grow. Um, in, the, in the current year, we'll deficit growth. 
particularly because of the uh, the dubbing work that we're expecting from that client. So um, so there's there's plenty of growth to go after in that client over the short and medium term. Great, thanks. So the next question, I think uh, there are a couple of parts of this question, so we'll take them mm. uh, one at a time. So the gross margin did decline year on year uh, due to the mix where localization growth is greater than media services. Correct. <laughs> that is true. Uh, and also the media services margin fell, which was the second part of the question. That's true too. Uh, that's because there was a large percentage of the media services was metadata, which requires a lot of freelance work, whereas pure media services that we normally do has very little external cost and has a much higher margin. Uh, this trend will not continue. I think that uh, reasonably clear in the uh, presentation, but we see uh, a number of factors working to ensure that in the current year, the margins will improve. And that's, first of all, uh, we expect to start making uh, margins on dubbing. We've put, we've put the investment in for for the uh, for the future in, in last financial year. So we'd expect to see a positive contribution from dubbing. We'd expect to see a uh, an increase in the margins from the media services because metadata will be a much smaller percentage. Uh, and we also expect that... Uh, the current mix won't change dramatically. Uh, so therefore, just by continuing with those trends, you'll start to see that 31% move back up towards the 34, uh, maybe not in this year, but certainly in the year after. So we'd expect a, a definitely a, a, an improvement in the current year. Great. And this next question has your name written all over it. Um, <laughs> you're achieving good growth of the business, but are yet to generate any cash returns, free cash flow, uh, for shareholders. Please can you comment on when you expect to start delivering cash returns from all of the investments you've made? So you're, you're right. I mean, we raised $10 million in April 21 um, with the intention of expanding the business and transforming it so that we can start to compete with the big boys in the industry. Uh, and in the current, the year just completed, obviously, we spent a lot of that money upgrading our infrastructure, property, IT, uh, sales and marketing, etc. So in the current year, I would expect to start to see um, that we will generate free cash flow. Um, obviously, we want to grow the business uh, at a superior rate, so there might be a bit more of working capital that we have to absorb. But, um, but I see that being offset by lower CapEx uh, and lower investment in SG&A in the, in the current year. Um, I'm not sure whether that question is asking, are we thinking of paying dividends? Because uh, the answer to that is we're not. We we still believe that we can go from 70 million to 400 million, and that will need some investment, but certainly not uh, in percentage terms what what we uh, what we put in in, the, in FY22. Thanks, Phil. And another one for you, I think. Um, clearly from the closing receivables of $26 million, it's evident that you had an exceptional Q4, and Q1 this year is even stronger. Were there any significant one-off sales benefits in either of these quarters, and is revenue lumpy in any way? Uh, the simple answer to that question is 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 no. Uh, it is just the sheer volume of work uh, that has resulted from the resumption of new productions. So not only our biggest customer, but also those other customers 
investors who are looking at international launches means that the demand in the industry probably over the next uh, year or two to get those launches through through the pipeline means that um, we can expect very strong revenues across all three services. Um, so I wouldn't say uh, as it currently stands, we've got lumpy. We're working really to our capacity and it's about how we increase that capacity as quickly as we can. Thanks, Phil. Um, this is, I think, the last question. Um, you previously mentioned hiring ahead of the curve. Uh, an additional 115 employees joined in FY22. Do you anticipate any significant change to headcount in FY23? And if so, to what extent? <laughs> right, okay. So um, uh, I, I think we will be looking to recruit in the current year. Uh, as I say, our stated ambition is to, to grow the top line and that will need additional headcount. What I would say is that I don't anticipate, and certainly we have not budgeted to recruit 115 people in the current year. If we did, it would mean that our confidence in growing the revenue at the same levels as last year would be very high. So uh, I think now additional headcount really is, uh, is linked to superior revenue growth. Excellent. Thank you very much, Phil. Um, so that we've exhausted all the questions. I'm glad we were able to get through them all. Um, so thank you all very much for joining us. I hope that was helpful. And, um, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.